Hello and welcome to CX Conversations. This is your host Vivek, bringing you CX lessons from CX leaders from around the world. Today in CX Conversations, I am talking about using customer shadowing to improve and innovate customer service design. Steve Jobs once remarked, "Design is not just what it looks and feels like. Design is how it works." Unfortunately, sometimes how it works is fraught with issues from a customer's perspective. And as for customer service design, I dare say we don't think about it if at all. In my own experience dealing with companies whose services I avail, I don't believe most companies think about it either. I know it is a terrible irony. After all, what keeps a company afloat if not satisfied customers? Designing a good customer service is about constant innovation and iteration. One of the ways to do that is by using customer shadowing, and that's what we are going to be talking about today. To talk about that, I'm super delighted to host Andrew Gallen, Assistant Professor of Marketing and the Director of the Center of Services Marketing and the Management at FAU School of Business, Florida. As an academician, Andrew's research focus is on innovation, service design, and customer/patient experience in the healthcare industry. Andrew is also the founder and principal at Dignity in Action, an analytics and advisory company in the healthcare sector. Before moving into academia, Andrew worked for Abbott Laboratories, one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies. He held several roles during his time at Abbott and was part of the team responsible for repositioning a $500 million product. With over 20 years of experience, Andrew specializes in customer relationship management, service marketing and management and customer experience. A big shout out to Nicole for connecting us and I couldn't be happier to be hosting him on this podcast today. Andrew, thank you for joining me. I'm super delighted to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me and thank you very much also to Nicole for introducing us. That's great. So, first of all, Andrew, tell me about this uh, about this remarkable journey that you've had. going from a full-time sales ex- executive to working as a full-time academic researcher what made you switch your paths from corporate to academia um well that's a good question i was going to school at night getting my mba while i was working and as i was getting close to finishing some of the faculty asked me if i would be interested in pursuing a doctorate and uh i strongly considered it and the reason that i pursued a phd was because I really wanted to become part of a larger conversation that was going in healthcare and I really had a passion for better understanding and representing the voice of the patient, the healthcare customer to organizations. Then I applied to schools. I was fortunate to be accepted to Arizona State University where I did my dissertation with Mayo Clinic in Arizona and I finished up there. My first academic appointment was at Case Western Reserve University in Ohio where I had a appointment in the School of Management with a secondary appointment in the School of Medicine and then I was at DePaul University in Chicago for six and a half years where I worked with organizations like University of Chicago Medicine, Rush University Medical Center as well as Advocate Healthcare. Wonderful. And as such apart from the pharmaceutical companies experiences, you don't have a clinical background, do you? I do not. I come from a, a very different perspective. I don't uh, assess what the clinician does. That's not my job. I'm not qualified to do that. I really look at what the customer experiences and try to capture the the quote unquote the truth of the customer journey and experience. Wonderful. So now let's talk about customer shadowing. Could you explain to our listeners what exactly is customer shadowing and what its usage is in the context of customer service design? 
Sure. I, it's a really useful qualitative ethnographic tool to get a much better understanding of what patients or customers experience when they engage in a service that your company offers. And it's a little bit by, like being a fly on the wall. It's not entirely possible to, um, you know, to be transparent, obviously. People see you're there, but it's following the, the customer from the defined start of their journey through the end. And making careful observations, not judging, but really trying to take notes and to observe what the customer's behaviors and actions are, who they're interacting with, what the physical environment may look like, trying to observe the customer's uh, body language as well as facial expressions to really get a better understanding of what they experience during their journey. All right. And I'm curious, like when this is being done, is the customer aware that they're being watched? Absolutely. Um, the way I've done this in the past is to, uh, I've done this in the healthcare um, context where we contact patients the night before their appointment and we get their verbal permission and we meet them uh, prior to their appointment. We get written permission and um, the the patient, the customer, and most of the people who are involved in providing the service are aware that someone will be accompanying the customer uh, during their appointment. Now, that's that's where I'm kind of getting a little intrigued, whether the knowledge of someone watching over my shoulders would affect my natural behavior and also of my environment in the, in the sense that now that you just mentioned that even the staff members in the hospital would be aware that some, someone would be accompanying the patient. Does that change any of the behaviors or, or do you think it could push people to behave in a certain man, manner knowing that they're being assessed? Sure. And the really the, the two main points that I want to make about that is number one, uh, most of the time, patients, customers, uh, service providers are very comfortable with having someone observe. And in a lot okay. of instances, there are observers who will come from a variety of different angles and just um, sit in, will shout out service providers, um, will mm. come and just view certain parts of a service. So most of the time, it's really probably a lot less intrusive than you think it would be. The second okay. point that's probably even more important is that I'm not there to, to catch people doing things right or wrong. Uh, of course, people can change their behaviors uh, when they see that someone is observing them, but what they can't change is the process. And that's really the key to this. I'm shadowing a customer to understand the process that they go through because the feedback that I want to give to the organization is how they can improve the process or innovate the process or redesign the process to better accommodate customers, to improve effectiveness and efficiency and better engage the customers. And that's not something that a service organization or individuals within the service organization can change overnight. It's not like you can snap your fingers and say, oh, someone's coming to watch us. Let's go to plan B. So it's not really trying to observe individual behaviors and comment on whether someone is doing their job well or not. That's not my job. I'm not qualified to do that. They have supervision in order to do that. What I'm trying to look at is what is the process and where are there opportunities to improve that process? Yeah, and I think this is an important aspect that our listeners must understand that customer shadowing is not about watching watching people and catching them whether doing whether they're doing their job well or not. 
but it's more about following the process and and kind of walking in the customer's shoes and understanding what is it that they're going through. Am I right? Absolutely. And what I've done in my experience is to shadow many patients that are being taken care of by many different physicians from uh, attending physicians, resident physicians, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, because again, it's not about is one particular individual doing something right or wrong. It's about seeing what the process looks like and to give the entire organization a perspective on this is what it looks like when someone comes in your door and is engaging with you in your service. And here are some opportunities to, to get it right. Hmm. And I'm sure like uh, a lot of my listeners, because they come from the customer experience background, they might be aware of the concept of uh, mystery shopper. How's this different from mystery shopping? I think mystery shopping has a place. In my mind, I think mystery shopping is most appropriate when, when you're looking for to, to get feedback on access issues. What is it like to call up and make a reservation at a restaurant? What is it like to call up and make an appointment? These kinds of things, because, you know, that's an effective way of picking up the phone, remaining anonymous. You know, the service organization would not know whether it's a mystery shopper or an actual customer. So I think there are, are opportunities to use mystery shopping, I think, to get some feedback on very specific types or aspects of a service. But for the most part, if you want to see, a, if you want to get a longitudinal view, sort of a, a longer view of the customer journey, particularly transitions where customers go from one type of service to another, then uh, shadowing is a more effective technique. And very often those transitions and those sort of spaces between phases or uh, steps in a customer journey are really the, the spots that are most ripe for improvement or innovation. Makes sense. And I think I just want to kind of summarize this for my listeners. There are two major differences that I heard you speak about between mystery shopping and customer shadowing. One is from the applicability point of view, which is where mystery shopping comes in handy when you want to assess a specific instance or a specific segment of your customer journey. And the second thing, uh, the second difference being in mystery shopping, the assessor is playing the role of the customer, whereas in customer shadowing, the assessor is essentially accompanying the customer and not playing the role of customer as such. Yeah, and I think you know, in some, in in, in many contexts, actually, you know, sending someone in as a mystery shopper and then reimbursing them for whatever they might purchase is. Um, I don't want to be disparaging to mystery shopping because I think it has its place, but in some senses, it it's not as authentic as having someone even as obvious as it may be to have someone shadow a customer. That customer is there for a particular reason, and that is authentic. And um, for instance, you really couldn't have a mystery shopper in healthcare, you probably couldn't have a mystery shopper in a lot of professional services, tax preparation or consulting services, because there, there's not that authenticity, there's not that actual need. And so how do you really get a good understanding of what of what customers need to do in order to engage with your organization? True. While I agree with that, Andrew, but I must also say that as a CX professional, I am a mystery shopper whenever I'm uh, transacting with any business, I'm always looking at their customer experience aspects and how a 
what is the kind of experience that I'm getting from them. Not that I ever go back and tell the brands, but as a CX professional, I think that's that's like a uh, that's like a curse that I have. <laughs> yeah. No, sure. And, but that's authentic. That's authentic too. You're an actual customer. You know, you're not pretending to be a customer. Yes. There's a lot of I think value in that authenticity. True. True. In fact, I've I've been in some of my existing clients' uh, places. Uh, one of our clients is a diagnostic chain here in India, and uh, I had to go for a blood test or something, and and I went there at their clinic got myself registered and all of that, did my blood test and uh, observed everything that was going on over there. And I came back to my office and I called up the uh, the head of customer experience at, at that in our client's office and I gave them all of my observations. They were so thankful about it. And I said, this is going to cost you a lot if you get this done through a mystery shopper. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But they were yeah, really thankful that I shared my observations with them. Yeah, I mean, I think it it demonstrates the value of having feedback on uh, from actual customers and from an actual experience and to say, you know, how are we doing? And some of that can be obtained from survey results and from comments and from quantitative analysis, which I also engage in a, a variety of methods to get the customer voice. But there are certain questions that you can't answer from survey data or from verbatim comments, for instance, from surveys that you really need to answer from being there and, you know, being with customers, seeing it with your own eyes and getting those narratives down. Yeah. Which brings me to uh, my next question that someone to be doing customer shadowing, what kind of training or what kind of um, attitude or traits must this person possess in order to be a good customer shadow? Yeah, that's a great question. When I started, I actually shadowed a few patients uh, with an organization that had done that pretty consistently. And we debriefed afterwards and we just sort of compared notes. And I really learned a lot just from a few sort of test cases uh, just to orient myself properly. Um, And I think probably the qualities that are most valuable in Uh, patient or customer shadowing is to really be open-minded and to almost remind yourself and have a a little bit of a self-talk before you go into it that you're there to really take the customer perspective. And so you should sort of set your own uh, judgments or assessments aside. That can be done afterwards as you're analyzing the reports that you generate. And to really be observant, to really sort of see things with fresh eyes and with to hear things with fresh ears and to take lots of notes. So what I've done is utilize some journaling in uh, during the experience to take lots of notes. There are also apps that can be used, so you can do this on your phone as well. And to just really be present and to put aside a lot of the self-talk and a lot of the preconceived notions that you might have about a service and just be present and be a good observer. Yeah, true. And I can also bet that the person doing this kind of work has to be super patient. They can't be asking questions or uh, intervening in a process or in a conversation between the customer and the service provider and uh, jump in and ask questions or get too curious about the next step and uh, kind of try to jump the queue or something like that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, there are some instances where um, a customer may turn to you and say, you know, you know, where do we go now? And if you know where they should go next and what the next step in the process is, 
it, it's really not helpful to intervene and, and to guide them along the way because one of the things y- you should be looking for is is there a breakdown in communication? Do they under you know are are customers understanding what's next in the in the process and where they need to go? And that can be part of the learning is to really just follow them and and to be patient, like you say, and to you know take that all in. Well, that's a that's a good feedback. Actually, you could be caught in that situation where the customer just turns to you. Looks at you asking, well, what should we do from here? And you have to just hold yourself back. And uh, I don't know what I would do in that situation. <laughs> have you been in such situations and what have you done, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, the general rule of thumb is if the customer were to do himself harm or if there's a situation where it would be unethical to just observe, then of course, you know, um, you would need to step in and, and take action. But if it's just a matter of looking at the process where, um, you know, someone would be getting lost within within a building or they wouldn't know what's next or they wouldn't know how to do something, you know, it's, it's I think, much better to maybe connect them with someone who can give them that answer rather than providing that answer. Because again, you want to you wanna maintain your role as an observer and uh, to really see what is happening rather than guiding that process yourself. Makes sense. So it could be as simple as, do you think we should check with the information desk or something like that, or maybe check with that nurse over there? And then the customer can walk up to that person and, and ask the questions that they have in mind, right? Exactly. And then you get to observe how that's resolved and how long they wait and what the process is like. Absolutely. Well, this is all good, Andrew. And I'm curious now, how would someone learn about this or get introduced to this idea of customer shadowing? Because uh, maybe I'm naive. I've literally never come across this concept before. Yeah. I mean, ethnography and qualitative research is a mature field. And I think there's some things that people can read about this. I'll just share how I got involved with this was there's an orthopedic surgeon by the name of Dr. Tony DeJoya, who is in Pittsburgh, who founded an organization at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center called the Patient and Family Centered Care Innovation Center, PFCC Innovation Center. And he developed a methodology as well as some journals, as well as an app that can be used to record shadowing. And I think one of the really keys to, you know, utilizing customer and patient shadowing is to use it as a tool to help onboard your employees. And, you know, some organizations even expect their employees to shadow a customer once a year or or once every six months so that we don't lose the perspective of customers. So we don't lose that, you know, the richness that's involved in deeply understanding what customers want and what they go through and and what they experience when they interact with our organization. And it helps bring people on board as well, because if nothing else, if you learn nothing else from customer shadowing, I don't care what the context is, you will learn humility. And it really is a process where you, in a lot of ways, humble yourself to more deeply appreciate the human experience and what it is to serve people. And when you're put in in any service organization, your job is to serve people and, you know, better understanding their needs and how they fulfill those needs and how customers achieve goals is critically important for service organizations. That's brilliant. So what you're saying is that to learn about customer shadowing, ethnography is the right place to start. And from there, you could learn more about this. Uh, I'm sure there there could be certain resources that 
our listeners could go and refer. Absolutely. Could you give us a few references? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I would take a look at uh, PFCC Innovation Center and their tools. They're free. There's, you know, um, I have no financial interest, so um, you know, it's it doesn't benefit me in any way, except that um, I think it's a great methodology for people to really look at, and it gives them the tools to utilize to get started. And if people do have other questions, they can certainly reach out to me. I'd be happy to point people in the right direction as well. Wonderful. That's great. So I I also help brands capture customer feedback. We talked about a, a bit. We talked a bit about customer feedback and the importance of that. Uh, we have a SaaS tool called Omoto, uh, and in some of my sales conversations, I get told that uh, the brand already knows the customer's pain point and doesn't think that feedback will tell them anything new. I'm curious, do you get that when talking to companies about customer shadowing that, hey, we all, we know our customers, we know the process. I don't think there's anything new we are going to learn from customers shadowing. And and how do you kind of answer that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, you know, it's interesting to hear that uh, from you because in healthcare, some organizations can be very provider centric, very clinician centric. And I've even talked to healthcare professionals that will say things like, you know, if we ask patients what they want or what they need, they don't really know. So we're just going to continue what we're doing and we're going to have the patient's best interests at heart and sort of, you know, adhere to this Hippocratic oath. And it's very paternalistic. And it, you know, in some ways it, it represents an arrogance that is not based on this notion of servant leadership or the, or the notion of humility that I brought up before. But, you know, my counter is that if you do customer shadowing, you will absolutely learn something that you didn't know. And it's because when you provide a service, you get to see one particular part of the service. And as amazing as that particular part can be, very often the opportunities to improve are in these, you know, what we might call interstitial spaces, sort of these, you know, these transition points that I mentioned before. And if you're not, if you're just following a a service provider, you only get to see one little phase, one little aspect of a larger service uh, journey. And so when you uh, follow customers, you get to see the entirety and you get to see where there are lapses and where there are opportunities to maybe infuse the service with the new technology to facilitate communication or to, you know, bring people together to collaborate in in different ways. So, you know, my my answer to that generally is if you engage in patient patient customer shadowing, you will definitely learn something that you cannot get from even mining customer comments on surveys. Yeah, and that's a brilliant answer, Andrew, particularly for the explanation you just gave, where you don't need to just, I mean, from a provider's perspective, they might be viewing that interaction and might believe that that interaction is perfect and there's nothing wrong about that. But the customer is experiencing your your hospital or your healthcare facility in entirety. It's, they are not experiencing it in broken pieces. Right. And that is where the entire experience kind of comes together and any piece that is broken in between or even the handoff from one transaction to another could mar the customer's experience. And it's important to know where that is happening and fix that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, it's not about assessing the performance of any one individual service provider. What, you know, if you were to ask a service provider, you know, what do you do and and what does it sort of look like? I think what you'd probably get is a lot of feedback about, well, I do a really good job and I do this and I do that. And this is how it sort of works. And so I think it's helpful to take the sort of contrary position and say, well, what does the customer see and what does the customer experience and what does the customer do and what do they do when they leave you? What, what are the other things that they, that they engage in and where, you know, who else do they see? And it's not, you know, you may be doing your part really well, but it's, again, it's not about individual performance. It's about the process and the process design. So what does it look like? What are the steps in the service and how do they fit together? Wonderful. Now I can imagine, Andrew, that conducting a customer shadowing exercise and using the insights from that are two different things. So what must companies do with the insights in order to make the most of it? And what kind of impact can it create in customer experience for the brand? Well, I'm a big fan of what's called service blueprints, or you can talk about customer journey maps, or um, there are a variety of different tools. I personally have a lot of experience and believe in in service blueprints. Um, But after shadowing customers, I think it's helpful to represent what you've learned with some tool, some sort of customer experience or journey map or service blueprint. And it's not just based on any one individual customer's experience, but rather looking at the design of the service. You mean visualizing the the data that you've captured through the customer shadowing exercise? Yeah, I mean whatever you've learned from shadowing, I think is should be represented in some in some way. And it's it's a really nice visualization of what the customer does and what you do as an organization. And when you represent it visually in a graphic, like a blueprint or a journey map or something, then organizations get a broader perspective of what they do and what it looks like from the customer perspective. And they also can use that as a diagnostic tool to assess where are their opportunities to improve and what do we need to do to improve that? Is it a matter of redefining roles? Is it a matter of changing our physical environment? Is it a matter of redesigning the process? Is it a matter of infusing this with technology to ensure that we're sharing data seamlessly across phases of a, of a customer experience? So, um, you know, once you represent it visually, then I think it's easier for everyone to sort of look at it and to have a, an intelligent discussion about what needs to happen next. Mm. So what you're saying is that the first step after the customer shadowing exercise is to visually represent the the findings, um, visually present the findings and uh, get some actionable insights out of it? Absolutely. I I teach this, in fact, and I know a lot of organizations look at journey maps or blueprints, and I have students uh, produce in, in the graduate level classes that I teach service blueprints based on a variety of different service contexts. And what we end up seeing is opportunities to improve. And it's, you know, I, I, I teach this because I think it's a valuable managerial tool for uh, people to understand what it is their service organization does and what it looks like and what exactly is happening. This is not what you think is happening. This is coming from the customer perspective. And so this is what it looks like from their perspective. And it gives you you know, the truth of what it is that is 
hopefully creating value in the customer's life and how you can enhance that. And when you're able to improve the sort of value that customers have from your service, then you can engender things like higher levels of engagement and, and positive word of mouth and greater levels of customer loyalty. So those are the, those are the things that every co- company is looking for. Sure. And I'm sure there's a, there's a journey that the company is going to go through from having this valuable piece of information that they have received from the customer shadowing exercise to getting to a point where the customer's journey is more frictionless. It's it, The customers are more delighted and, and are having a great experience. At this point in time, how does that journey look like from, for, from a company's perspective? What are the things, if you could share a few tips or some framework or a set of questions that can direct the the discussion within a company that is looking at the customer shadowing data and imagining how can we now implement this in our organization? What is it that we should do in order to make or to draw out an action plan from here? Sure. I mean, I can, I can talk about one particular case where I shadowed 20 patients who were um, patients of a family medicine clinic and Again, you know, we called them the night before, got the permission, got written permission, followed them throughout the entire experience. I personally did that. I was, you know, meeting them in the parking lot, walking through the hallways and finding rooms. And even in the exam room, if there was anything sensitive, I would turn my back. But otherwise, I was there and listening and taking notes, taking copious notes and really observing patient uh, behaviors and expressions and their questions and really getting to know the process. And the, the feedback to the organization was around just a few simple things, which you would not understand unless you were shadowing patients. If you were just shadowing the clinicians, you wouldn't see these things. And the first thing was fairly simple, but something I think that creates a more welcoming environment. When patients were done in the exam room, the physician would walk out and say, okay, you know, I'll give you some time to, you know, get dressed and to put on your coat and these kinds of things. And the patient would leave the room and not know how to exit the back area, not how to not know how to get back to the reception area. And this was true for not only new patients, but existing patients. And so it created confusion. It wasn't a welcoming environment, but, but probably the most important implication of that was they would start wandering the halls and then nurses or other people would get annoyed with them. And, you know, we don't need an antagonistic relationship with customers, right? We should make them feel welcome. So, you know, give, giving simple directions um, when they leave uh, a room, I think, is just very easy to implement and something that has some meaning. More importantly than that, though, is a lot of the instructions that were given to the patient, things like, you know, follow up in six months and make an appointment with me. In the meantime, get a blood test or, you know, here's starting a new medication. Um, <clears throat> we're sort of left with on the patient's shoulders to communicate those things to the person who is checking them out and setting their next appointment before they left the facility. And a lot of things don't get remembered. Um, they don't get perfectly captured. They don't, um, you know, they don't get followed up on. And so that has very significant implications because now we might lose six months of time where the patient comes back for the next appointment and they haven't gotten their blood work. They haven't gone to see the specialist. They aren't taking their medication the right way. 
And so it has really profound implications to the process and to the outcomes and to the patient health and well-being. So one of the um, recommendations that I provided to the clinic was just to make a simple checkout form that the physician and nurse could fill out by checking boxes and just jotting some quick notes to make it easy on them um, to make it more efficient so as not to take a lot of time, but would allow the patient then to bring that complete profile to the person who was checking them out so things don't get lost, things don't get missed in those transitions. And so, you know, we're making good use of our time. We're not allowing those six months or, or you know, however long between appointments to go by with nothing being done. So, you know, those are some examples that we provided to the clinic. And, you know, th- those, again, are things that you would not see if you were saying, okay, which is very common in healthcare, I'm going to shadow a provider. Because you, once you leave that room, you don't get to see those transitions. You don't get to see what the patient does when they, when they leave the back area, when they leave the exam room. And from your perspective, you, you might think, okay, everything went well. We had a great conversation. We had a great interaction. We feel like, you know, we accomplished a lot. We made some connections and, and you know, this patient and I are on the same page. But if you're not seeing how that gets implemented on the back end, then you lose the perspective of why things are going wrong and why you see that patient the next time and you're in the same spot. Yeah, that's wonderful, uh, Andrew, and and thanks for sharing that. What I'm also hearing from your answer is that a lot of the action points that come out of the customer shadowing exercise is contextualized in that experience itself. I guess there is no template or a cookie cutter approach that can be implemented across organizations that can be taken up as after steps from customer shadowing. No, I think that's right. I think, you know, it's based on the service that you have and what your value proposition is and what segment you're looking to to serve and what that looks like. So, you know, I would urge people to think about, you know, what service do we want to really get good feedback on? What phase of that service? Um, you know, is it getting people into our into our organization? Is it, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle? Is it how they, you know, leave our, our organization and, um, you know, the back end? And then really go into depth on that. And I think you're right in saying that, you shouldn't go into it and say, well, I'm going to look for this, that, and the other thing. You should really go into it with an open mind because every service is going to present different challenges. I think if you're looking for some categories, what you really want to look at is, again, aside from individual performance, which is what you know, not what I, I was assessing at all and what is not part of service, service blueprinting, is looking at what roles do people have and do we have the right definition for those jobs? Are, do, are we defining people's roles properly in our organization? Do we have the right flow of information? Are, do we have the right processes so that people uh, can share information rather seamlessly? And do we have the right technologies in place in order to facilitate those types of communications? And um, are we really collaborating as a team? Are, do we find that our employees are disjointed in the way they they provide the service or are they truly collaborative and doing a really good job of working together to ensure that things don't fall between the cracks wonderful that's great andrew thanks for sharing that so what's your word of advice for companies undertaking customer shadowing for customer service design you know i think it's a real commitment i think um you know i think it's easy to say well let's you know let's do this one time 
yeah, we got what we needed. But I think it's important to to use this as a tool to revisit your service process on an ongoing basis. And as I mentioned before, I think it's also a useful tool for new employees to bring them aboard and to say, you know what, um, before you go help our customers, we really want you to see what our service is like from the customer point of view so that when you're in a position of helping them, then you have a much better understanding of what they do and, and where the pain points might be and where the opportunities to really you know, provide empathy or emotional support or the right types of information to support their decision making are. So I think, you know, it it takes a commitment and it's not terribly expensive. It's not terribly time consuming. Um, I think if you set an expectation that says, you know what, we're going to ask people who are in our organization to do this once or twice a year just to stay in touch with what customers do. Um, like you said before, um, you know, if, if we're not satisfying and engaging customers, then what is the purpose of our organization? So I think it's important for everyone in an organization to keep front and center what it is their organization does and what customers experience when they, when they interact with that organization. I love that. I also love the idea of using customer shadowing as, a, as an employee onboarding and training tool. It's, it's wonderful. I think there could be nothing more impactful in a, in a new joinee's experience than to by experience or look through what the customers go through in, in that organization. So that's great. Wonderful. Yeah. With that, we've also come to the end of this podcast. I'd like to thank you once again for talking to me on this podcast, Andrew. I'm sure our listeners would learn something new from this. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I am very appreciative of this opportunity to talk about patient shadowing and to help people better understand how to hear and to represent the customer voice in their organization. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. And to all our listeners, this is Vivek signing off from another great CX Conversations. Until next time, bye. Bye.